never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. But how, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. It's the Video Nasties podcast. My name is Christopher Brown. So, in the past, we've spoken about films that are launch pads for careers or might even be stumbling blocks at some point. So, you know, Last House on the left uh, was the Wes Cravens, you know, kind of opening gambit to the world, as it were, but it also nearly cre- crippled his career. Then you've got. Um, Sam Raimi, who's very much the other side, and kind of introduced the world uh, through Evil Dads and kind of, you know, the, the skill and the talent within that film, despite the fact that it's you know, a gory horror film, is, is self-evident. And that kind of, you know, opens up more options for him and becomes kind of a, you know, A, he's got the big franchise, but also, um, you know, this the guy who makes free Spider-Man movies as well. Parasite from 1982 um, is not famous. It's not famous. Um, But it does kind of sit in a weird intersection for various people. It is Demi Moore's first film, Hair of Indecent Proposal and Ghost Fame. It's one of Charles Band's earliest movies, the guy who made uh, Puppet Master and uh, paid for Reanimator. And it also, as a as a, a different kind of interjection, features Vivian Blaine, who's very much on a, a different trajectory, who uh, was in Dollface and Guys and Dolls, and he's kind of known for these glitzy Hollywood musicals, but uh, by this stage was, you know, a jobbing character actress. And there are interesting little intersections of various people who, through through look and uh, happenstance, end up in the film and then go on to do other stuff. Perfect for the kind of podcast that I do, I have to say. You're like, oh, you know, so-and-so, he does this, and this is important, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway. The thing called Parasite from 1982 is, um, it's in 3D, and it's a Charles Band film, so it's um, you know it's a very low budget and impressive in how it's able to achieve what it wants to do in such a low budget. And in the end, it is, after all, quite considerably a bit of trash. Three D. The movie fantasy of yesterday is now the terrifying film experience of the future. For technical reasons, the preview you are about to see is not three-dimensional. Be assured, Parasite is the most gripping and frightening movie you will ever see. And in 3D, you will be part of the terror. You are about to witness the future. Be warned. 
It is a shocking sight. 3D, the ultimate sensation of visual art, now creates the newest, most terrifying form of fear, Parasite. That thing on your stomach. A new strain of Parasite. When it reproduces, it will cast millions of microscopic spores into the air. Just move your legs towards me real slow. Real slow. Experience the living, breathing, terrifying vision of modern 3D. Parasite. You have only seen the preview. In 3D, you will live the film. Parasite. The first futuristic monster movie in 3D. Parasite. So, what's it about? Well, American. Um, it's kind of a mixture of a alien kind of creature feature, really. Um, rather than, say, alien although, you know, early 80s films tend to be considered to be alien rip-offs, and we will go into more of those in the future. And a dystopian, post-apocalyptic, Mad Maxi kind of vibe to it as well. Set in America... It's about a criminal group who are keen to uh, thin the numbers of the herd by letting it loose on, a, on, on what is now a fairly lawless society. So these, uh, this shadowy group called the Merchants uh, get hold of a guy called Play, um, played by Robert Glaudini, who is kind of a bug-eyed, kind of looks terrified all the time and shocked by the situation. I mean, they get this character called Dr. Paul Dean to create this weird hybrid parasite life form. And we see it in quite a trippy and unusual and kind of slow-mo introduction to the story when the credits are rolling, which feels strange, but, you know, it's kind of it's kind of uh, hallucinatory and um, psychotronic almost. And certainly, you know, uh, this film would appear in psychotronic kind of uh, lists maybe, but really only for its first 10 minutes if, the, if you're, that's, that's the reason why you're listening to this. Anyway, he manages to get the parasite that is created out, one in a, 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 a container and one that's... Um, buried itself in his body in a bad way. And it's not something he wants to happen. He needs a cure for the problem. However, this canister, which contains this parasite, has, um, is stolen by a gang of head the balls who um, take it and don't realise you know, what's in it. They just think there might be something of value in it. So that parasite gets out and starts being, as you'd imagine, a parasite. Meanwhile, Paul befriends a lemon farmer named Patricia, who's played by Demi Moore, who decides to help him, mainly because she's persuaded because how serious the situation is, according to the doctor. And our um, our man, Paul, is all, Dr. Paul, is also uh, chased by a bounty hunter type kind of guy in a posh looking car who slides up doors and all this is going on and for me the key reasons why this exists and why it's happening is that 
we get the opportunity to see some exciting 3D effects. So, um, you know, obviously, like <laughs> you get to see this in 3D, it's friggin' minimal. But, you know, um, uh, parasites fall on people's heads from on, from shower units and they jump out and, you know, the uh, somebody gets stabbed and the blood pours out and it's obviously been, you know, forced perspective effect to make it look like it's popping out the screen. So... If you've forgotten, I know you weren't around at the time, the reason why, for some bizarre reason, Charles Band is making a 3D creature feature in the early 80s is because there was a brief moment when horror films became very trendy for doing it. Amityville 3D, uh, Friday the 13th 3D, and, of course, Jaws 3D as well, all of which kind of alluded to a possibility of excitement. Of course, these days... 3D movies tend to be the uh, the mainstay for big blockbusters, um, you know, your Marvel films and all that kind of stuff. And you know, at one point, I think it was perceived to be the future of cinema, but I think it's quietly ebbed away as everyone's decided that maybe we'll just pay for it, <laughs> pay for it to be a 2D, please. And I won't get the annoying glasses in there, uh, as the glasses wear if you need them for distance. Uh, quite useful as well, not to have to work, go to, you know, not to have to pick your 3D screens. But, you know, all these things are, by their very nature, good fun. Good fun things to go and see in the cinema. And with Parasite, that's kind of what it's for. So first off, I suppose we need to discuss Charles Band. Now, Charles Band is really famous... Um, for the work he's done over the years, probably after this movie, in truth, as we were saying before about films that um, kind of you know come uh, 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 on upcoming, you know people who are on the, on the uppers. Although Band himself is very much a you know a, a low budget guy who makes comedy horrors, really, in truth. So um, he did this work for. Um, Embassy Pictures, that was, that was the distributor. And Embassy was, was kind of in trouble at the time. Now, Parasite did make its money. And it allowed him to kind of kick on and, and make other stuff and set up Empire International Pictures, which is very much, you know, the, the way he kind of grew. It isn't Band's first film. He made, you know, he was making films like Tourist Trap, uh, Fairy Tales, Laser Blast, um, all those kind of movies. Exactly the kind of thing you would imagine um, as a Charles Band production film. So he's kind of helping people make it. From here, he goes on to make films like Trances, which is a, a kind of a mini, again, sci-fi-themed film, uh, and led to a number of things. Probably more famous in truth, though, for stuff like helping create Puppet Master, and there's been loads of them, um, and Creeps... And, you know, those kind of renowned early 80s um, horror films, mid-80s really, Puppet Master's 89, I think, you know, the kind of thing you'd pick up, you'd be dead excited by when you're younger, like a teenager, or a lot younger still. Kind of, oh, you know, I need to see the film about the killer puppets, you know, it's, and, or, or, you know, Dolls, which is, of course, a Stuart Gordon film, which, again, is a book produced by bands and, he kind of sits a lot and, and really kind of grows as a as a force in this VHS. I mean, it's exploitation in the sense that, you know, it's a strong idea, 
pushed forward that grabs the attention of the of the viewer you know um uh, uh, you know fulfills it it what it needs to do you know tight quick movies you know 78 80 minute films you know single locations and then something interesting you know the thing about puppet master is that there is some really interesting um special effect shots in that film uh which really kind of go beyond what you'd expect from a film of that type which is almost certainly why it's been able to grow and, and improve over the years and when we go to films like um like parasite their skill lies in the fact they are able to box above their weight and yes this film is not the best charles band film it is however important in his growth as a as, a, as an actor as a sorry as a writer and a director Also on this random stuff, we mentioned our Doctor Who, let's be fair, does spend an, an inordinate amount of time just kind of staring into the middle distance and kind of looking absolutely petrified and bug-eyed in the storytelling. He actually wrote the uh, screenplay for, well, the play, uh, for Jacko's Boaton, which gets success uh, off-Broadway with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Hoffman was so taken by the romantic comedy he then takes it himself and creates his uh, director's own film version which came out in 2001 and here as well we see uh, Luca Bercovici who has a role in the film again uh, and he is uh, he again you know as an actor um, appears in a lot of, of stuff this not again, not his first role by any stretch, but uh, does appear as in um, *Parasite*, in film like *Frightmare*, loads of stuff, loads of TV and that kind of thing. Um, but obviously went on to create um, *Ghoulies*, another one of Band's um, famous uh, video shop kind of fame films. You know what is effectively a Gremlins ripoff. Uh, but notorious for having its uh, green kind of gobliny, obviously puppety monsters coming out the toilet in in in, in the in the posters. And I think if you grew up in a video shop and you're of similar age to myself, maybe you're certainly older than uh, thirty five, shall we say, you'll remember those posters on the walls. And let's uh, you know, I feel possibly better for it, known for its marketing maybe than its quality, but nonetheless. And I think that kind of is an indicator as well as how Charles Band works in terms of, you know, uh, you know these kind of people drop, dropping in and out of stuff and, you know, just kind of ensuring that, you know, the ideas are there, it's sold well. And, you know, these are ultimately fun rides. They're, designed, they're not designed for uh, anything more than to kind of titillate, to provide uh, the excitement and move on. You know, this film starts, Parasite should start with a, a man going into a, what appears to be a ghost town. Uh, and seeing a woman with a top off being attacked, and then obviously, you know, the topless woman, a mainstay of post apocalyptic films. I think we can all agree on that. So it provides, but you know, and that's a, there's a cynicism there, but it does provide the, um, the kind of thrills that you then expect. And, you know, the, one of the best, funnest gore scenes is one that's so deliberately designed for 3D, a man is impaled with a, with a long uh, tube. 
And uh, we see the, uh, it's obviously pointing out towards the audience from this perspective and then blood pours out from the front. So, you know, really kind of uh, eye-catching and fun shots. And as I say, he's filmed this blatantly on fuck all on quite limited locations, lots of like warehouse stuff and, you know, like, you know, obviously being done around the back <laughs> somewhere or other. Um, and, you know, our post-apocalyptic landscape doesn't feature a lot of uh, modern tech, shall we say. It's very, uh, very low-key from that point of view. Demi Moore obviously appears in the film as well, um, trying desperately to kind of, you know, um, hold together a, a you know, a, a narrative which um, she seemingly just takes a lot of stuff on. You know, a guy turns around, a bug-eyed man appears in your, in your house and goes, oh man, you know, uh, the world's going to end uh, if I don't do these X, Y, and Z. Can you help us? And you go, yeah, right, yeah, 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 I'll take that, take that on board. And off she goes. Um, it also, the film also features a um, a cameo, short part really, rather than a cameo, because I don't know how many people didn't know who he was at the time, from Freddie Moore, who was Demi Moore's husband at the time. Um, who you know, he's a he's a musician who appeared in the band The New Cats. Yeah, it's an old old school American. He's now obviously classic rock, classic rock band. See more originally appears in uh, the teen drama Choices, although this is, you know, it's a small role and this is by far a, a bigger thing for her. Um, Charles Band had apparently gone to casting director jo- uh, Joanna uh, Ray and said, find me the next Karen Allen. Karen Allen, obviously, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um... And this is what he came back with. And in fairness to it, he did a good job then, didn't he? Because obviously, you know, more than goes on to General Hospital and various TV things. Um, the Four Pain and Blame in Rio. Then you've got St. Elmo's Fire. And then we're right in there with the Brack Pack stuff and huge fame. Moore actually says that um, her worst film is Parasite. Um, but bear in mind that she she earns well a lot of money to appear in striptease in nineteen in uh, the late nineties, a, a film that um, does not hold up well against the uh, the other um, films of the type that that were coming out at that time, like Showgirls and that kind of thing. Which although you know is is more extreme in its uh, in its badness and its uh, explicitness, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, but that's it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you know, from a technical point of view, you've got a lot of people wearing a lot of heavy makeup, um, trying to show to perform. Uh, they've got like a, a, a gloopy monster uh, who's like you know attacking people. You've got a lot of gore effects, and you know, from a purely is this trash point of view, then yeah, you know. Striptease at least has a you know some some better shots in it, but you know at, at the same time this feels a tad harsh, a tad harsh. But there is some weird stuff in it. So as we said, uh, Patricia is a lemon farmer, and you kind of assume that that must have you know well, what that means in reality to the plot is very little. What it does mean is that the, for some reason there's lemons all over the shop. Like there'll be a bowl of lemons sitting off. In shots, you know, just to kind of, in what is quite obviously not being particularly strongly set dressed, probably for financial and, and budgetary reasons, it will seem a little strange. But yeah, they're not, you know, the, our monsters are, aren't um, 
aren't killed by lemons or aren't, aren't you know, or some kind of, it isn't even a, a, a part of the, the, the story. It's just this strange detail that kind of sits on the top. Um, and bearing in mind, obviously, the, the opening is quite psychedelic and unusual. That's probably because of Mac Alberg, who really is better known for working on Italian erotic movies as the cinematographer. He worked on Fanny Hill, for example. But um, he also kind of, what he gives here is, um, if you're doing a 3D movie, you've got to really work. You know what I mean? It's complicated tech. It's not easy, easy stuff to do. And they've got someone who's able to kind of, really kind of make it work for them. Now the effects, as I say, the effects aren't great. Not, and I'm not even going to pretend that all those shots are good, but he's definitely a, a strong hand to kind of guide uh, a film. And let's be honest with you, on this kind of, on, a, on, a, on extremely low budget films, your film looks like a proper fucking film. You're doing okay. When we look at some of the other films that we, you know, we, we, we touch on, on on the Video Nasties list, not all of them can be so promising in that way. So as we say, um, films can sometimes um, box above their weight, kind of show a skill and a talent, while simultaneously not really being enough to kind of get a, get away from the reality of the situation which is that these films are still kind of trashy you know unfortunately in this example band is not able to elevate his 3d gimmicked sci-fi movie post-apocalyptic hybrid about a killer parasite that looks quite a lot like uh, latex with a, with an airbag attached to it to the lofty heights of, uh, of fine art. I know. It's a shame. Sure is hot out here. I don't know how you take this heat. It uh, has its moments. You live here? Yeah, I have for some time now. And you've been around here the last couple of days, I guess. I guess. Truth is, I'm uh, looking for a friend of mine. That's so. That's so. Yeah, he's a tall, thin fellow. Not feeling too well, either. No, I haven't seen anybody like that around here. Nobody comes around here. Except the sickies. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. If you want to get a hold of me, please do. My email address is videonastypodcast at gmail.com. My... Go to the website thelasttorahpodcast.com or videonastiespodcast.com and there's all the podcasts there that I've done and we're available on Spotify and Stitcher and iTunes and Google Podcasts I think and all the other places that you you kind of hope that you're able to get these things from um, next week we're discussing David Cronenberg's classic Rabbit wasn't an attempt to kind of mix um, you know, uh, cre- oh, well, I should have done Shivers, shouldn't I? <laughs> I should have done Shivers next, but I'm not going to do Shivers. I'm going to do Rabbit because I like Rabbit Bear, uh, although I have a soft spot for both. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to deal with um, Cronenberg dealing with, you know, changes in the self and uh, the fear of uh, an ex- almost an existentialist dread about the, uh, the human condition um, and uh, about disease and uh, bodily change. Almost. Deal with that next week. Um, which is obviously something you couldn't really say about Parasite, which is definitely just a film about a killer monster. 
Anyway. Um, yes, if you want to get home, please do. Until next time, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. I have never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. But how, how can you judge on video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film.